Well, good morning, church family. We trust that you had wonderful time with family and friends over Thanksgiving. And I'm sure you have a lot of stories to tell from time with family. Today we turn a page and we are preparing for Advent. Uh, Special thanks to those women of the church and any others who came and helped to decorate the gym during COVID that we might have an Advent theme in what is now our sanctuary during COVID months. Um, It is helpful. It is helpful to have our attention drawn to the significance of Christmas. And so I'm intending to contribute in that way also for these five weeks as we prepare for Christmas that we would have a holy anticipation and expectation of God coming near at Christmas and that we would be reminded that if you're a Christian, Christmas changes everything. Christmas now redefines you and your perception of the world in which you live and how all of this makes sense, how there's even hope for the world in which we live. Amen? Christmas changes everything. It truly does. It really does. And so this morning, uh, our attention is drawn to hope. So we have a new logo for our Advent series, and these will be uh, the sermon topics in the weeks to come. And today's emphasis is on hope. Hopefully you've heard it in the songs that we've sung, the scriptures that we've read, the prayers that we've prayed and now in the sermon that we'll hear. And there are a few passages that will make our sermon text this morning. What's in the bulletin is almost correct. I've tinkered with it over the week since submitting the information. So give your attention now to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 and verse 6, and then to John 8, verse 12. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then from the New Testament, John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray that God would bless our understanding of his holy word. Lord, would you teach us this morning by your spirit and through your word, what it is for Jesus to be the light of the world, to be the thrill of hope offered to sin-weary Christians in this world. So, Lord, would you encourage those who need it? And that would be every one of us. We ask it and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. The language of hope. Do you use the language of hope? Do your children use the language of hope? Do you talk about hoping for things? I hope that the weather is good this weekend for our event. I hope that my team wins on Wivalry Week. 
which we just concluded yesterday for college football fans. And for some of you, that hope was realized, and it was a great night or a great day. For others, not so great, and hopes were dashed. We talk about hope in politics. I hope that, I hope that this happens. I hope that this is approved. I hope that this comes to reality. We talk about hope with jury trials. I hope that justice is found. I hope that the verdict is right. I hope that peace will result from this trial. And then some, some know a petty hope, what I'm going to call a petty hope, where though their income may be very limited, they will choose with a sense of hope to buy scratch-off lottery tickets or other kinds of lottery tickets with the hope that maybe a little something more could come from what they've paid for it. That's a language of hope. Hope is all around us. It really is the language of the culture in which we live. Even in the state of South Carolina, you know the motto for the state of South Carolina? Doom Spiro Sparrow, which means while I breathe, what? I hope. As long as I've got breath, I've got hope. South, Carolin South Carolinians think that way, supposedly. So as we begin this conversation of hope, I want to acknowledge that it's the language of our culture. It's a category in our culture. But this morning, I, I would hope that we as Christians see that the Bible's language of hope is something far more significant than the small hopes, the petty hopes, maybe even the false hopes that we find ourselves buying into day after day, week after week. So this morning, a word about ultimate hope, gospel hope, what the scriptures say about Christian hope. And so three simple points this morning. Christmas hope is our theme. We're going to talk about what it is. We're going to talk about why you need it. And then lastly, how you get it. Christmas hope what it is, why you need it, and how you can get it. The hope of Christmas was first promised in that first book of the Bible. So when we think of Christmas, oftentimes we go immediately to the manger. But you know, the first promise of Christmas is actually in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The Lord says, speaking to the serpent who had led the man and the woman into sin, the Lord says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And then it says this, He, singular masculine pronoun, He will crush your head and you will strike His heel. Now, this is what is considered to be the first promise of the gospel in the scriptures. Did you know that? Early in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, there is a promise that because of how sin has infested the world, that the Lord God would do something about it. That he would send one, a singular masculine pronoun, to do something about the problem of sin. And he would crush the head... Of the tempter. 
he would give a fatal blow to the tempter, to the serpent and his offspring. And so that's the first promise of Christmas. Christmas hope is rooted in Genesis. It's where it begins. It's where Christian hope begins. It's at the very beginning of the Christian story. So it's in the beginning, but it's also in the middle. The hope of Christmas was clarified along the way. So if you think about the scriptures that we've been given, which truly define ultimate hope for us, it begins in Genesis. But since Genesis, there's this unfolding promise of who that one that would crush the head, the singular masculine pronoun, who that would be and what he would look like. And so I chose Isaiah chapter 9, just one text of so many that summarizes along the way, clarifies who this person would be. And of that singular masculine pronoun, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so the gift of Scripture to us clarifies along the way. The prophets begin to reveal pictures of who this Messiah, who this Jesus, who this Christ child would be. And then later in the New Testament, so we're told in the beginning in Genesis, we're clarified along the way through the prophets and through the Old Testament stories And then in the New Testament, finally in the Gospels, we see that it was, in fact, a baby born in a manger. And later, after his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, it would be said of Jesus that this Christmas hope is what you and I are to cling to till the very end. We don't cling to the promises of hope in this world, of the world. We cling to Jesus our Christmas hope. So listen to two passages. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, clinging to the hope. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We endure by faith because we're clinging to a promise. We're clinging to a person, the very person of Jesus. And then in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, again, a call to cling to the one who was crucified. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Do you hear it? Beginning, middle, and end. Hope has always been the theme of those who worship the Lord. The Lord has made promises to His people, and His people have those promises, and they have them forevermore. And we're called to hold fast to them. In a world that would ridicule that hope, a world that would redefine that hope, a world that would try to distract us from that hope and get us to think about anything and everything but that hope, 
we're called to hold fast, to cling to it until the very end. Now, why do we need that hope? Why is this hope so special that you and I would devote five Sundays zeroing in on Christmas hope and on all that it offers us? Well, a few reasons. Number one, we live in a sin-darkened world. And the evidence of it is on our televisions every day of the week. You know, as we preached through the Ten Commandments recently, I hope it's jumping off of your televisions and off of your newspapers, how we live in a world that is in conflict with the nature of our God. Uh, Just since I think we met last, we've seen uh, people using hammers to, to crack into glass cabinets to... 80 people, I think it was, who, who bull rushed a store and stole everything that they could, everything that they could carry, and orchestrated theft to do as much self-grabbing as they could. And as we looked at the commandments, in each one of them, we've seen, boy, it's not just in the heart of the world to rebel. It's in the heart of every one of us. And so we live in a sin-darkened world, and we are a sin-darkened people. We are a people and we live in a world that is spiritually deaf. It's spiritually defiant. It's spiritually dead. And God would have to breathe hope into death to bring it to life. And if you're a Christian hearing this sermon this morning, then your heart should be nodding, yes, it was God who breathed life into my sinful heart who renewed me and changed me. I'm no different than this world, but God has worked something in me that only He can be the author of. And that's what makes you and what makes me Christians. And the world in which we live would do anything and everything to distract and preoccupy us from the one true hope. Anything to to unseat us from focusing on the one true ultimate hope that God has given His church. But the hopes of this world, if we name them for what they are, are they not temporary hopes? False hopes? Petty hopes? Small hopes? Think about the things you hope for. Think about the things that will make your day better. It will be a good week if... Fill in the blank. Is that a permanent and ultimate hope? Or is it a small one? Is it time-bound? Is the clock ticking on that hope as soon as you trust in it? Do you see that that's how the world's hopes are? Even significant hopes, hopes for health, hopes for life, hopes for strength, those are important hopes. But do you understand the clock is always ticking on the hopes of this world? There is but one hope that we've been given that is eternal. And that is the promise of Jesus and his gospel, his good news to us. So we need to reconsider our hopes, the things that truly breathe life into us. What are you expecting to deliver? Is it a petty petty hope, a small hope that will disappoint you in the end? I have a long quote from C.S. Lewis, but it's a good one. Remember, if I give you a long quote, I try to promise it's a good quote. Okay, give your attention to what he says here. He says, all schemes of happiness that center in this world 
have always been doomed to a final frustration. In ordinary times, only a wise man can realize it. Now the stupidest of us knows. That would be the most foolish of us. We see unmistakably the sort of universe in which we have all along been living and must come to terms with it. If we had foolish, unchristian hopes about human culture, they are now shattered. If we thought we were building up a heaven on earth, if we looked for something that would turn the present world from a place of pilgrimage into a permanent city satisfying the soul of man, we are disillusioned and not a moment too soon. Do you hear what he's saying? It's the same point. This world will distract us from the ultimate one true hope. Don't let yourself be so easily distracted. Consider your hopes this morning. Talk to your children about distinguishing between small, temporary, petty hopes and the one true ultimate hope that we celebrate in our worship on Sunday mornings. They need those categories. We need those categories to distinguish the ultimate hope from the temporary hope, the small and petty hopes of this life. That's why we need it. That's why we need Christmas hope. Because you and I would grasp something that doesn't last. You and I would grasp something that fails us. We need Christmas hope and to be reminded of Christmas hope so that we're not disappointed and empty-handed in the end. Amen? Point number three, last point. Christmas hope. How do you get it? How do you get this Christmas hope? It sounds good. It sings good. How do you get it? Well, the scriptures are pretty simple and pretty clear. Christmas hope grasps us as we let loose our many false hopes, naming those false hopes, identifying those false hopes, recognizing them, and when we, by faith, grasp that one true hope. We don't grasp it perfectly. We don't grasp it with perfect knowledge. We grasp it by faith. And we acknowledge, Lord, my heart is so prone to trust in petty and small things. But by faith, I do believe that you're the one true hope for sinners, for my sins. And so, Lord, would you loosen my grasp on the things of this world and help me to take hold of Jesus even as he's really taking hold of me. Amen? That's Christmas hope. It's seeing our grip loosed on things that won't last and seeing that we are grasped by the one who is our ultimate hope. It is a beautiful thing. It is a hope that doesn't disappoint us. Unlike the hopes of this world that disappoint, Christmas hope reminds us that there is a hope that doesn't disappoint us. And that's the one we want to cash all our chips on. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Paul says, Our hope in Jesus does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
That's what we want. We want a hope that doesn't dis- disappoint us. We want our hope in the ultimate hope, not in small and petty and failing and fleeting things. And so every one of us, myself included, we've got to consider what is occupying our minds, where is our hope, and do we need a transfer of hope this morning? Do we need to transfer our hope from temporary things to the eternal hope that Christmas is all about? The thrill of hope. The thrill of real, lasting hope. That's what Christmas hope is, and that's what it offers us. A thrill of light, a thrill of hope, a thrill of something that cannot disappoint us. In 2013, some of you will remember this story. In 2013, in the month of June, off the coast of Nigeria... There was a storm, and a storm swell overturned a tugboat. Do you remember the story of the tugboat off the coast of Nigeria? Eleven sailors died as in the middle of the night, about 5 a.m. actually, early in the morning. The tugboat was turned upside down in a serious storm, and it sank, and it sank quickly. It was the Jackson 4, was the name of the tugboat. It took three days for a rescue crew to reach the boat. Three days for a boat that had sunk quickly and deeply in frigid waters. The rescue crew was shocked after day three when they finally were able to enter the sunken tugboat. And they heard the light tapping of a hammer. As they had been breaking their way into the boat, making noise, they began to hear a light and faint response. And so they went in deeper and deeper into the tugboat. And then one of them who had a light and a camera and filmed it all live reached his hand into a dark spot and was grasped. Do you remember this? He was grasped by Harrison Okeen. Perhaps it's pronounced Okane. I don't know. It's Nigerian. Harrison Okane had survived for three days over 60 hours in a little four-foot square air bubble in the tugboat. There was no hope of life by those who were searching for it. And as he was rescued, he said this. His recounting of it is, all around me for three days was just black and cold. I was crying and calling on Jesus to rescue me. I prayed so hard I was so hungry and thirsty and cold. I was just praying to see some kind of light. He'd been underwater for almost 60 hours when he began to hear the hammering on the deck. Now, let's go in that tugboat for a minute. I can't imagine a more horrific experience than being in a boat that sinks and you're underwater for three days in the freezing cold. He was just in his boxer shorts. 
freezing cold for three days, pitch black dark. Later he would say that he had thought all the other men had escaped and he was the only one trapped. In truth, he would find out that all the other men died. He was the only one who survived. I can't imagine a more vivid picture to highlight the story of hope, the need for light, and the hope of Christmas than this man trapped in darkness who hears the faint hammering in the distance that gives him the thrill of hope. Maybe someone has come for me. Maybe someone will find me in my despair. And then to see the light that he literally prayed to Jesus for. A light coming out of the darkness. So much so that what did he do? He reached out and grasped. Find me. Here I am. And then that man would come and find him. And this is actually a picture. That's what he survived in. That's a live picture. And if you're interested to see it, the whole video of his being saved is online. You can find it. Amazing picture of light in the midst of darkness and the cold darkness of this world. Light comes. Hope is found. And that kind of hope is thrilling for sinners who are praying to be found in their lostness. For sinners who need the light of Christ and Christmas. A vivid picture. As we turn our attention to hope, as we turn our attention to Christmas, can we think like this? Can we, our, can we see ourselves as trapped in that kind of despair of sin? Who all we can do is pray for Jesus to deliver us with His very hands and as the light of the world? That might turn our attention towards Christmas with an eager expectation. When we identify with the misery of the man in a sunken boat. Jesus has rescued us. He's come as the light of the world for sinners. We were in sin darkness. And Christmas, it's our only hope. Let's pray together and then let's sing together. Our Father and our God, we do give you thanks. We give you praise as we honestly admit our sin our love of sin, our love of darkness, our love of this world. But Lord, would you overcome that darkness, overcome that hope that we have in small and petty things. And Lord, would you embrace us and grasp us, shaking us free of all of our guilt and all of our petty hopes. Would you give us the thrill of hope, the thrill of hope in the forgiveness of our sins because a Redeemer has come. We ask this and we pray it together in His name. Amen.